Glad you're here, and we're in week two of our series called With You, and if you were here last week, we, uh, we talked about this, uh, this truth that uh, is ours, that God is indeed with us, that uh, people he's called on the spiritual adventure of faith, he has also assured his presence that would go with them. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Uh, and on this journey of faith, God is uh, also looking to see if we will be with him. You see, it's, it's easy to say you're a Christian. It's easy to say you're following Christ when the, the path is smooth, it's well lit, and the, and the footing is sure. Uh, but it's a little more difficult to say to God, God, I'm with you when the, the path is not well lit, when uh, the, your feet slip, and when it's, when it's full of potholes. And so we're, we're looking at this journey of faith, and, and uh, what, we're, what we're doing is, is we're talking about a God who wants to hear from his children, uh, I'm with you, God. When, when good times are bad. Uh, when, when the trail is well lit and when it's dark, I'm with you, God. And, and we're in this series looking at the, the life of Abraham, who is the father of faith, who is having his, his faith tested. He has expressed great faith. As we looked last week about him moving from Haran to the, to the good land, uh, he's expressed that good faith and God has been with him. And the last week as we looked at, uh, at his first test that he failed, it was the test of not enough and, uh, and how he hit, hit famine and took his little detour down to Egypt. And we, we talked about Egypt being the, the reasonable, rational, uh, safe alternative to obedience and faith in God. And that sometimes it does take major faith, it takes great faith to make a major move. And sometimes it takes even greater faith to stay put. And this week we're looking at uh, a second test of faith that uh, is found in Genesis chapter 13. So if you've got your Bibles, uh, turn there, we'll get there in a second. Because uh, Abraham's faith will again be tested. Uh, God is going to ask them the question, uh, Abraham, are you with me? And this test is a test of conflict. Now, years ago, when I, was, uh, when I was first stepping into ministry, I was pastoring my first church in Kelso, Washington. Uh, uh, three months into the, uh, this new adventure of faith, uh, I, did, I officiated my first wedding in that church. There was a couple that uh, had, uh, d- had wanted to get married, and, uh, and when I got there, they'd already had some plans in place, and so I was going to be the pastor who would officiate the wedding. And uh, wedding day came. It was in February, and it happened to be one of those rare, sunny uh, Saturdays in February, and uh, we were doing the wedding, and uh, the sanctuary was beautiful. It was well-decorated. There were flowers. There was a fragrance in the room, and an in about an hour, the bride was going to walk down the center aisle, and everyone would rise, and there'd be this beautiful marriage ceremony. But about an hour before this wedding was going to take place, uh, the, the two moms, the mom of the bride, the mom of the groom, were up front, and they got into a little bit of a disagreement. Uh, they, uh, they, they had a disagreement over which mom should be ushered in first, uh, just before the, the, the bride came in. And this disagreement turned into an argument, uh, and, uh, kind of like wildfire, it began to spread and people were taking sides and, uh, voices were being raised. And I'll be honest, I mean, I, I've been managing a fishing tackle company for about six years, and I went into ministry thinking this is all going to be great, people love each other, and, uh, and so I was not prepared to, to, to know how to handle this. I mean, I could tell you how to catch a salmon, how to gut it and fillet it, but I, I didn't know wedding protocol about who should come in first and, and last and all that. 
Um, so as this conflict is starting to grow and this wildfire is spreading and it will engulf everyone if we don't solve this problem, um, I, I, my only tools of knowing how to solve conflict is, you know, in our house we used to do rock, paper, scissors. And that's how we decide to... Uh, who, uh, who wins, and uh, I knew that wasn't going to work here, and I mean, the voices got louder, the fingers were pointing, the heads were wagging, and uh, the groom comes out, he's trying to calm down his mom, the bride hears about the conflict in the room that she's getting ready in, and uh, man, it's just, it is just not pretty, in fact, it gets so bad that one of the moms has a nervous breakdown, we have to call an ambulance, and she is taken to the hospital. So the other mom wins, you know, because she got to be ushered in. She's the only mom that was ushered in. Uh, man, it was just brutal. It was just so ugly. And that's what conflict can, can be like. It can be so ugly. It can start in such a simple way, a simple thing like, you know, who gets to come in first. And before the day is over, it, it just spreads and everyone is impacted and hearts are hurt and uh, a wedding day is, is, is marred and uh, conflict can be really, really nasty. Now, we're going to look at this story in Genesis chapter 13. And in this, in this story, we're going to see a family squabble. It's a family squabble that's over something very small, but has big implications. And left unchecked, it has that same potential to grow and spread and engulf a lot of people and cause a lot of damage. And this is Abraham's second test of faith. And what we're going to see here is we're going to see Abraham who, who, who just failed this test of not enough, who's going to have this, uh, this test of conflict. And, and if you can imagine God saying to Abraham, Abraham, here's some conflict. Are you with me in how I handle conflict? And we're going to see a guy who passes the test of conflict as we read this text. So stand with me if you would. Uh, turn to Genesis chapter 13. Uh, if you did not bring a Bible with you, you'll find one in the pew rack in front of you, and you'll find this text on uh, page 11. That's really early on in your Bible there. And I want to read, I'm going to pick it up in verse 5, and uh, in verses 1 through 4, Abraham and Lot are making their way back from Egypt. They've got all their herds, and they've got all their possessions, and they're coming back home to this land God has promised. So uh, Genesis chapter 13, beginning in verse 5. Now Lot, who was moving about with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents. But the land could not support them while they stayed together. For their possessions were so great that they were not able to stay together. And quarreling arose between Abram's herdsmen and the herdsmen of Lot. The Canaanites and the Perizzites were also living in the land at that time. So Abraham said to Lot, Let's not have any quarreling between you and me or between your herdsmen and mine, for we are brothers. Is not the whole land before you? Let's part company. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. Lot looked up and saw the whole plain of, that the whole plain of Jordan was well watered like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt toward Zoar. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself the whole plain of the Jordan and set out toward the east. The two men parted company. Abram lived in the land of Canaan while Lot lived among the cities of the plain and pitched his tents near Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked and were sinning greatly against the Lord. The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had parted from him, lift up your eyes. 
Lift up your eyes from where you are and look north and south and east and west. All the land that you see I will give to you and your offspring forever. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth so that if anyone could count the dust, then your offspring could be counted. Go, walk through the length and breadth of the land for I am giving it to you. So Abram moved his tents and went to live near the great trees of Mamre at Hebron where he built an altar to the Lord. This is God's holy word, and you may be seated. So here we have this family squabble that arises, and uh, the, the, the issue at hand here is that there is not enough localized pasture for Abraham and for Lot to, to, to feed their herds. They've, they've come out of Egypt. They've got all these animals. They've got all these animals that need to be fed. There are all these animals that need water. And they're coming to this land. And there's not enough pasture to feed these animals. And so there's this quarreling that, that breaks out between Abraham's employees and Lot's employees. And they start bickering. And they start disagreeing with each other. And we have this beginning of a conflict. Now, before we, 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 we flush out what happens here, let's just talk about the anatomy of what conflict looks like. Because you may not have sheep and cattle, and you may not be fighting over pasture, but conflict comes your way. In fact, you may be in conflict this morning. And, uh, and really, when you boil it all down, conflict is, looks very similar uh, at its roots. Because it begins with desire. It begins with desire, and in some good desires and some bad desires. Uh, you know, a bad desire might be greed or, uh, you know, or envy or covetousness that begins conflict. Or it may be something really good like peace and quiet. You just want peace and quiet. Or you have a desire for professional success. Or you have desire for, uh, for children who listen to you. And uh, those are your desires. And it, it could be good desires. It could be bad desires. Healthy desires or unhealthy desires. But here's what happens is when those desires are there and then they're unmet, you have the potential for some conflict. You have unmet desires. You don't have that peace and quiet in your home. You don't have that, that need being met. And what happens is that you have this idea that if I have these things, if these desires are indeed met, then I'll be happy and fulfilled. So you begin to demand. I desire, I have unmet desires, and now I want, I need this. In order to be happy and fulfilled, I, I need these things. And, and when conflict begins to spread, when conflict can start to become ugly is, is when we start demanding what we want. And, and, and then what happens is we just start, uh, we start criticizing people when we don't get those desires met. We start condemning them, maybe even judging them. Uh, we can do that in low-tech ways, in high-tech ways. Uh, we can tweet, we can make posts on Facebook, we we can uh, call a friend. We can just kind of sort of hush tones, talk about well, how this, this uh, particular spouse isn't carrying their weight or how this person I work with is clueless. Uh, and they, don't ha- you know, they, you know, they just have no idea. And, and we criticize and judge. And then the, the last step here in conflict is we punish. Uh, we, we punish the person who is not meeting our desires. And we do that by raising our voices and slamming doors. And we do that by... Giving the silent treatment. You don't ever do that, right? I mean, <laughs> punish people by giving the silent treatment. We punish people by withholding things. We, we punish people in a variety of ways. And this really is the anatomy of conflict. In fact, go back to that story in the beginning about the, the two moms. The desire is one of them wants to be walked in first. That, that desire is unmet. 
And so there are demands being made and voices are being raised and now words are being said and they're hurtful words and now they're punishing each other so much so that one has a nervous breakdown and heads to the hospital. Think about the conflict you've had in the last month or the last week or on your way to church this morning. When you boil it all down, this is what conflict looks like. Now, we get this story in Genesis 13. We've got conflict, right? Because there's not enough pasture for the animals. There's, there's these, these herdsmen, these employees that are working uh, Abraham's herds and Lot's herds. And uh, they've got desires that are going unmet. There's not enough food. There's not enough water for the animals. And so the herdsmen are quarreling. And uh, in fact, in, in Genesis chapter 13, verse 7, you see the, that, that word quarreling there in verse 7, and you see it in verse 8. They're the same words, but in the original language, there actually are two different words. In verse 7, uh, in the Hebrew language in which this Old Testament is written, that, that word in, in, in verse 7 means legal strife or, or sort of natural conflict that's inevitable. And let, let's face it, we, we encounter conflict in our lives uh, not, not just because someone did something wrong. It's just inevitable. In this case, there's just not enough pasture. In this case, it's just natural. When you, when you get that many animals, you're going to run out of land. No one did anything wrong. It's just we got two large herds. We got inevitable conflict. Verse 8, though, is a different word. In English, it says quarreling again. But this word, quarreling, in the Hebrew means an escalation of conflict to the point where relationships are damaged. So you have, a, you have natural conflict, and in verse 8, you've got, now you have escalation in conflict to the point that relationships might be damaged. And so what Abraham is going to do is that he's, he's faced with options. Just like last week, we talked about the options before him when he faced famine in Canaan. Now he's faced with options and, and, and in order to solve this, this, this conflict. Option number one for him is what I call the natural response. I mean, let's think about this for a moment. In this culture, Abraham is the uncle. He's the older. Lot is the younger I mean, he, he could just tell Lot, listen, listen Lot, you're, you're kind of a young punk here, and I know that you, you, you got lots of animals, but, but I'm older, so you need to sum, submit to me, and uh, I get the best land, you get the leftovers, because let's face it, you're riding on my coattails anyway, all right? And, and he could then go on, and he could sit down Lot in his tent, and uh, he could take his scroll and say, Lot, open your scroll to Genesis chapter 12, because I, I want to read to you something. Because God gave this promise to me. He said, to Abraham, I'm going to give you this land. It doesn't say Lot. It, it, it says right here that it's to Abraham. So Lot, um, let me just give you, well, basically what Abraham could have done is he could have given a theological justification of why he should have, why his rights, why his, his uh, preferences should be met. He could have, culturally, he could have said, you're younger, I'm older, I get what I want. It's, I, it says here in the Bible, I get what I want because it's my land. And let's face it, you're riding on my coattails lot, so just, you need to just back off because I should get the best land. That, that is a, a natural response that many people uh, make when they're facing conflict. Here's the facts. This is the way it should be. We all know this is going to be true. I have the rights to this. You don't, so I get my way. Abraham can make that response, but he doesn't make that response. 
Why doesn't he choose the natural response? Why doesn't he insist on his rights? Well, the end of verse 8 tells us, he says, for we are brothers. We're family, Lot. See, Abraham hears about this quarreling between his herdsmen and Lot's herdsmen. And instead of calling a pre-work communication meeting and talking about and strategizing on how to get to the, the best pasture first and how to beat out Lot, instead of insisting on his rights, he knows that if he doesn't handle this conflict and it, it doesn't, isn't solved now, it will spread like wildfire and it will rise to the top and it will engulf the two of them and relationships will be damaged. Abraham doesn't choose a natural response. He chooses a supernatural response. He doesn't insist on his rights. He values relationship over his rights. Years ago, um, I was a young leader in a, a local church, and it was a church in conflict, and it was ugly. Uh, this was long before I went into ministry as a pastor and uh, this church was divided. Uh, there were all kinds of desires that were going unmet. And there were all kinds of hurtful words being spoken. And, and we, were, we, were, we were really hurting. And uh, we're, we're part, uh, and this church as well, Samline Church, is part of a network of churches in this region. And our district uh, sent some leaders to us to help us, uh, to help lead us through this, this, uh, this wilderness of conflict. And they sent to us Don and Dee Bubna. Now, uh, Don and Dee were leaders in this church for many years. And uh, Don and Dee came to the church that, that we were serving in. And, um, and, and Don is a gifted peacemaker. He, he knows how to, how to help people see eye to eye on things. And he does a great job of leading. And he has many tools in his toolbox. But one of his favorite tactics in bringing healing to conflict is ice cream. Uh, he, he just loves to get people together. He would, he would have these times where he'd, he'd, he'd make us as a church gather together and eat ice cream together. We'd all be in the same room, and as in typical Don Bubna fashion, he would give us a question that we had to go ask three people as we ate our ice cream, and he made us talk to each other. He made people who didn't want to talk to each other talk to each other. And in one of those, those ice cream socials, it happened to be a banana split night. Don um, was, was doing his thing and then telling us to go and talk to three people, ask this question that uh, my daughter, Bethany, who was eight at the time, was going to, to the line, the front of the line with Dee Bubna, to, to get their bananas for the banana split. And uh, Dee asked Bethany if, if she wanted to split a banana, just, you know, cut it in half. And Beth said, Yeah. That'd be great. So Beth had the banana, and so she was cutting it in half, and uh, she didn't do a very good job of cutting it in half. She actually cut it in a quarter and three-quarter, and uh, she put it in, in two bowls, and she details the story that Beth had these two bowls with the bananas in it, and one had like three-quarters of a banana, one had a quarter of a banana, and she could just see the wheels turning in Beth's, in Beth's head. It's like, I want the bigger banana, but this is the smaller banana, and the right thing to do would be to give the, the, the bigger banana to someone else, but I really want to keep the bigger banana for myself. And so she's hesitating, and she's pausing. And then finally, she takes the bowl that's got the larger banana, and she passes it to D. Now, now D gets this larger banana, and she's kind of tickled, like, oh, that's cute. And she goes and tells Don. 
Well, Don, he stops the whole ice cream social. He's, he's like, this is it. This, this is it. You, you need to get this. And tell, he tells a story, and then he says, here's the deal. We need to be a people who pass the banana. And everyone's like, what is he talking about? You know, it's too much ice cream. It's, start, you know, it's got in his bloodstream. Uh, and he's like, no, no, no. We need to prefer one another above ourselves. If we could treat people better than ourselves and pass the banana, I think we can bring healing to these relationships. And so he began preaching, pass the banana. Pass the banana. He would preach it on Sundays. In fact, years later when healing did come to this church, and this, this church is, is thriving today uh, because of his leadership in that difficult situation, he would email me from you know, the East Coast and say, Steve, I just preached the message about passing the banana. And they loved it. And I was like, wow, that's a, he, he's an amazing guy. And you know, that's what Abraham does. He passes the banana. He, he has every right to the land. The promise is his. He, he could insist on his rights. He could be preoccupied with his preferences. But he doesn't. He passes the banana. He knows this conflict can damage relationships. So he's not insisting on his rights. What he's doing is he's choosing, he's valuing relationship. And I want to tell you that one of the most damaging things, one of the most destructive things that you can do to any relationship, whether it's a friendship at school, or whether it's a marriage relationship, or whether it's a relationship in a neighborhood, one of the most damaging things, destructive things that you can do is insist to have this preoccupation, this insistence on your rights being met, your needs being met, demanding your way. And Abraham calls Lot in and says, hey, we got a quarrel. He knows that if this is not checked at the level that it's at right now, that it will rise to the top, it will engulf the two of them, and relationships will be harmed. So Abraham goes to his nephew Lot, who's younger than him, who doesn't have the, the promise, and says, Lot, here's the deal. Open hands. You choose which bowl you want. You choose the land you want. Lot, if you go to the right, I'll go to the left. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. You, you choose first, Lot. It's your choice. And Abraham, Abraham just, just releases this promise. But here's the deal. What if Lot takes advantage of him? What if Lot chooses the bigger banana? And that's where faith comes in. That's where faith comes in. Ah, but what if, what if I don't get my way? What if I don't get to walk in first? What if I get the smaller banana? What if he chooses the best land? Uh, that's where the test of faith comes in. That's where God says, are you with me in how I handle conflict? And guess what? Lot does choose the bigger banana. Lot does choose the best land. Why does Lot choose the best land? Genesis 13 tells us it looked like the land of Egypt. And there we have the first consequence of Abraham taking his little detour down to Egypt. Ah, it looked like that great land in Egypt. He had been infected by the luxury of a life of Egypt. 
And so he chose the best land for himself. We don't know if he, if that would have changed had they not gone down to Egypt, but we do see that already Egypt is starting to influence others. So we hear of Lot, and Abraham now is, he's held out his hands, and, and he's not going to get his way. The relationship is intact. The relationship is intact. It's healthy. But now they will part. And I think that when they're parting, that, uh, that Abraham has a sense of uh, discouragement in his heart. I mean, he's, he's leaving someone he loves. Lot is a good, he's a, is a relative, someone he loves. That's obviously why he brought him on this trip from Haran. And, and Lot's true character has been revealed. He's chosen the bigger banana. He's chosen the best land. His heart has been revealed by his selection. I think Abraham is potentially disappointed in Lot. And now Abraham's aloneness in this foreign land is accentuated because they're having to part. And it's here when God comes to him a third time. First time, Abraham wants you to make a move. Second time, Abraham, I'm confirming my promise to you. Third time, after Abraham passes this test of conflict. God comes to Abraham and says in these final verses in chapter 13, he says, Abraham, my my paraphrase here, Abraham, you've lost a relative that you love. I'm going to give you so many relatives, they're going to be like the dust of the earth. You can't count them. Abraham, you've released the land You've released, you haven't clutched, you haven't haven't been clinging to this. You've released the land. And Lot's taken the best land. But here's the deal. Lift up your eyes, Abraham. Look north, south, east, and west. Walk through the, the length and breadth of it. It's yours. The, the, the Hebrew writer here is, is contrasting these two looking up. Lot looks up with his heart of covetousness and chooses the best land for himself. Abraham lifts his eyes and looks because God told him to and sees this land that God's giving to him. And there's a heaven and earth difference between looking up and grasping for something and lifting up your eyes because God God tells you to because he's giving it to you. In fact, that's exactly what's happening because the promise to Abraham is I'm taking to a land and I will give it to you. And at the end of Genesis 13, now we have God saying to him, I am now giving it to you. It's as if God is saying to Abraham, I've given you this test of conflict. You have passed it. And at the very moment where you think you've lost everything is the very moment that you have possessed it. The very moment that you handled this conflict in a way that matches my heart where you lost everything is the very moment that you possessed it. Jesus would say in Matthew chapter 5, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Who are the meek? The meek are those who don't insist on their rights. And that's exactly what Abraham received. He inherited the earth. And now I'm giving it to you. Are you in conflict today? Are you having a disagreement with someone? Could it be that that test of faith has been slid onto your desk 
And God is looking at you and saying, are you going to respond the natural way and insist on your rights? Or are you going to respond like my heart does, the supernatural response, and pass the banana and value relationship? And folks, this is not just an, a Genesis kind of idea of how to handle conflict. You see this throughout the pages of Scripture. In fact, you see this in how God handled his conflict with us. I'm going to put the words of Philippians chapter 2 up here so that you can see this for yourself. It's from the New Living Translation. And I want you to read this first section with me out loud and watch how God handled his conflict with us. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. The next slide there. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Let's pause right there. You see, we had a broken relationship with God. God's son sets aside his rights takes on human flesh, comes to earth in, in humility, goes to a cross and dies. And at the very moment when the enemy of our soul thought that Jesus had lost everything was the very moment where Jesus possessed everything. And watch what happens next for Jesus. I'll read it out loud and you just follow along. Therefore God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Do you see what happens here? Jesus lays down his life in humility. He takes on human flesh. He goes to the cross. He offers his life. At the very moment, it seems like he's lost everything. He's offered his life to you and I so that we could be reconciled. At that very moment, then God elevates him to the place of highest honor. Because God does not insist on his rights. He values relationship with you. And he's called us to live out this same life. Are you in conflict today? You have desires that are unmet. Are you demanding? Are you criticizing, condemning, judging, maybe even punishing? Could God be saying to you, are you with me on how I handle conflict? And will you choose the supernatural response and lay down your rights and value relationships? He is the God who sets aside his rights. He is the God who values relationship. And he longs to be in relationship with you. He longs for us to be in relationship with each other. Would you pray with me, please? So, Lord, today we want to be a people of faith who, who confess these doctrines and truths that we believe in and who also live them out and practice them in our daily living. And when it comes to this issue of conflict, Lord, it's inevitable we will all face conflict. Some in the room today have already faced it today. Some of it will face it this afternoon and tomorrow and this next week. And we want to be with you in how we handle this conflict. So Lord, we want to be like you, Jesus, and set aside our rights, our privileges, 
so that relationships can be restored. And we pray this in the name of the Prince of Peace. Amen.